Welcome to Tucumcari First Assembly's podcast. Now open your hearts to be changed by the Word of God. We're going to talk about communion and covenant, and we're going to we're going to dive into this because I, I wanted I wanted us to have a day where we celebrate communion together, and and I've told you this before, but growing up in the churches that I attended growing up, communion became just one of those things that you just did once a, once a month. It was just once a month. It was just something you did, and it got, got a little bit routine. How many of you ever had routine religious activity in your life before? Yeah, routine activity, routine religious activity is not religious at all. It's actually religious. It's just not godly. Come on. So we, I, I encourage for us to, when we, when we have moments like this, I, I pray about them. I ask the Lord, when do you want us to do this? How do you want us to do this? And I really feel like God led me back to, to, te- to teach again this morning on covenant because covenant is so important. I want you to understand, we're the church. Come on. This is the church, and the church is to be unified, and we're unified through the covenant of Christ. Luke chapter 22, verse 19 says, And he took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave to them, saying, This is my body given, for you do this in remembrance of, of me, In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new what? Covenant, say covenant, covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you, poured out for you, okay? So in the ancient Near East, what, what was happening, they, people didn't have police. There, was, there wasn't a, a group that took care of the, the, the things going on around them. We, everyone policed themselves, and, and they, they watched out for one another. That's the, the, the biblical community in which they lived. They didn't, they didn't call 911. They lived out in the desert. They were alone. If a problem arose, it was theirs to fix. How many of you understand that? Yeah, we're kind of like that around here. Thankfully, we have uh, people that are, are first responders that will come to our aid. But if someone robbed them, it, 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 if someone came against them, it, they didn't have anyone to call for help. They, they had their neighbors. They had their, their friends. They had those who they were in covenant relationship with. And so they, they, how, how did they protect themselves? That's how they protected themselves. They, they, were, they watched out for one another. I, I want you to understand this. We are our brother's keeper. You know that, right? Right? I, I, the teenagers often, you know, they'll, they'll say this phrase. They'll, they'll say, snitches get. <laughs> yeah, not around here. Not around here. If you do something wrong, I'll tell on you. First to you. Hello? Come on. There's a biblical model of that, right? Matthew chapter 18, if we walk outside of that biblical model, then judgment comes on us, right? But we, we do what's best. We do what's right for one another. They had to do this. They made covenants with each other, and one tribe would make a covenant with the neighboring tribe, giving them their word that they would watch their back as well. Now, I've, I've given uh, my testimony over the years, and many of you have heard. I don't want to talk about this too much, but I got in a lot of fights as a kid, okay? As a teenager, I got in a lot of fights. And the thing about, the thing about when, when we were in school is you always had to make sure that someone had your back. Someone, you got my back? You got my back? That means I don't know if I can do this. Come, right? You with me? Right? 
And before, before I'd shove some guy in a locker, I would make sure that I couldn't fit. This is self-preservation. Come on. It's not just I like donuts. It's both, really. But in these times, in Bible times, they made covenants with each other. Kings would make covenants with other kings. We call them treaties today. There were covenants then. This kind of covenant, by the way, I'm going I'm to teach a little bit this morning. Some of you have heard this before, but it's okay. be a great reminder for you. There's a couple different kinds of covenants. One was called a fictive kinship covenant. Uh, fictive, meaning imaginary. It's fictive, right? It's not real. It's, it's kinship. It's 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 fictive. It's it's be, because people you're in covenant with. It's it's not real family, but it's it's a covenant family, right? A covenant family. The the bond you have with them is so strong, it's even stronger sometimes than a blood kinship relationship, right? So there's a a, a fictive kinship. The phrase "blood is thicker than water" is still used today. It comes from this kick, fictive kinship covenant relationship, but this phrase really comes from people saying the blood commitment of this relationship that we're in is that it's so strong that it's closer than the blood relatives that I have. How many of you have friends that you're closer with than people that are actual family to you? I think we've all been given those special people in our lives. That's a beautiful, beautiful thing, right? A covenant relationship that is stronger than a family relationship. I want you to understand something. Covenant relationships are always stronger than family relationships. Covenant relationships. So covenant in the ancient Near East is a big deal. To them, it was their only way to survive. That was it. If they didn't have these covenant relationships, there was not, their survival was not in their future. So there, there's two kinds of covenants. R- write these down if you want to take some notes. There's parity covenants, which are covenants made between two equals, two equal parties coming to covenant with each other, like a, a farmer tribe and a warrior tribe. Okay, coming together because the warrior needed food and the farmers needed what? protection. So they would covenant together. They make a covenant to help one another. People in a parody covenant refer to each other as brothers. We're brothers, right? We're brothers. So, so a parody covenant, very strong covenant. And then there's a suzerain covenant, suzerain covenant, which, which, which are covenants made between major more powerful people. So kings, right? That kind of presidents, that kind of thing. And lower leaders or tribal leaders called a vassal. Say vassal. Yeah, I know. We got all kinds of terms today, right? Suzerain and, and parody and vassals and king, major kings, power, all these things. People in this kind of covenant refer to each other as father or servants and lords. Fathers and sons, servants and lords. Okay? That kind of covenant. A king, check this out. A king had the right to make several covenants with other vassals, right? People in leadership lower than him. A king had the right to make those with vassals, as many as he wanted. But a vassal, listen, could only make covenant, this kind of covenant, with one king. Because there had to be an allegiance. Are you with me? 
There had to be an allegiance because if, if you have, have multi-covenants like this, there's no allegiance to a leader, right? There's no allegiance to a leader. And, and how many of you know multiple visions just equals division, right? Well, we don't have the same vision. That means we have division. That's what that means. So, so now we understand where we're at. In the relationship, okay? So a king, again, had the right to make several covenants with vassals. Vassals only had the right to have one king. In fact, a vassal, if a vassal made another covenant with another king, okay, another suzerain, it would break the agreement that they had with the king. It would be considered treasonous, and in that day, the king would then kill them. Because you could not have people that were in the kingdom that were, not, that were not aligned in unity with the vision, come on everybody, that the king had, that were breaking the covenant with the king. Now obviously, God is the king of all kings, right? He's the king of all kings, and he invites us into covenant with him. Into covenant with him, he calls us his sons, and he tells us to call him father. But our king chooses to be in covenant with us. Aren't you glad? By the way, with us alone. Even though he doesn't have to, he loves us that much. That the king of all kings would choose to be in covenant with us. And while most suzerain kings put their power or use their power to get whatever they wanted from the vassal, their land, their servitude, our king does not. He doesn't use his power to his advantage. You'll see it all through scripture. In fact, he didn't come to serve, but to what? He, I mean, he, he, didn't come to, he didn't come to be served. He came to Serve. He came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He came for that. He uses it to our advantage, not his own. Isn't that beautiful? Now let me tell you how the people of the ancient Near East would make covenant with each other. Every covenant has oaths, promises, vows, commitments to the two parties that are made to one another. Every covenant was sealed with a sacrifice, a sacrifice. So each person in that day would bring an animal in a suzerain covenant. Only the vassal would bring a sacrifice, right? The king wouldn't bring a sacrifice. The vassal would bring, and it would, it would be cut in half, and they would hang, they would hang that sacrifice up. I want you to imagine uh, the, the sacrifice, half of it hanging here, half of it hanging here. It's a bloody mess. It's just hanging there, dripping down blood. It's a, it's a, it's a mess, but that's, that's, that was, that was how it was, would work. And then the vassal, okay, the lower would walk through the dead, cut up animals in a figure eight pattern like this around and through the blood raining down upon them. You like Bible teaching? Huh? You just want three strategies for marital success or do you want Bible teaching? Three, I'll give you three real quick. Say yes, yes, yes. Now you're done. Walking through. They would walk through in this figure eight pattern, which is the symbol of what? Infinity.
the vassal would walk through the cut-up animals in this, in this pattern. The priest of the suzerain would say, so shall it be if you don't keep the terms of this covenant. What were they saying? So shall it be unto you, Derek, if you don't keep the vows in which you're saying today, if you don't keep the covenant, if you don't, if you don't stick to your word of what you're saying today, so shall it be unto you like the blood of this animal. If you step out of covenant and go your own way. It's not the heifer's head. It'll be yours. And this, this person is walking through this, making this covenant vow. The blood raining down upon them. It, it, isn't it easy to come to church today? Come on, somebody. You didn't have to round up an animal today. You didn't have to pick the, the choice one out of the herd. You, 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 you didn't have to, you, you, come on. You don't have poop on your shoes. Probably some of you might. Good chance some of you do. It's all right if you do. I just, I want some of that steak later. Come on, everybody. The vassal would walk in and out of the sacrifice piece in this pattern of infinity, symbolizing that it was an everlasting covenant. It was an ongoing, everlasting covenant, not only for you, but for your descendants. Come on. Raise up a child in the way they should go, and when they're old, they shall not depart. See, covenants are generational. Come on. It's an everlasting covenant for you and all your descendants. This was a seal, and it was a warning, and it was, a, it was a, to the covenant agreement that you were making. And they had eyewitnesses. They had witnesses that were there and, and to see and hear what was promised to each other. There were people that were gathered on both sides of this agreement, especially the family and the people that, that the vassal represented because they were, they were on, in on the promises and benefits of that covenant agreement. They got to receive those benefits as well. So, and, and, and as well as the consequences if the covenant was broken. The king and the people would have then a covenant meal. Now I got some of your attention right there talking about meals. Which always includes wine and bread. Okay, that covenant meal would, would include wine and bread. And they would drink the wine saying, I'm drinking you into me. That's what it was about, okay? We're becoming one people. Sometime in some cultures, they would even cut their hand, right? You remember the, the, the little movies when we were kids? We would, and I would, I don't know how many, how many of you did this as a child? You cut your hand and you became blood brothers, right? Gail never did that. We'll do it later today. No? Okay, she said no. She said no. <laughs> Y'all know where I stand. They would become one people. 
They would eat the bread together, and as they would eat this meal, they became closer like family. They became connected on another level. Come on. They became a covenant family. I have family I haven't talked to in years. I have covenant family of God family that I, I, I could see them today and pick up exactly where we left off like nothing's ever changed. I have other people that I'm actually blood connection, connected to, related to, that I could sit in a room and be like, I don't know what I'm going to talk to this person about. We're on different planets. Because the covenant of our life doesn't even align. Come on. Then they would write out, I want you to understand this, they would write out, they would take the covenant agreement which they, which they shared with one another and they would write it out on a scroll and they would seal it and they would put it in the temple in a safe place. They would seal that covenant and place it there. And then, get this, once a year, how many times? Once a year, there was a day of remembrance and the time of the year when the priest or the, the higher king, right, would take and read to everyone in the community what, were the, what the terms of that covenant were. I love this. Can you imagine that day on the calendar coming and you coming to the house of the Lord or going to the courthouse steps and the entire community's invited and everybody gathers around and they want to hear and be reminded again of the terms in which you made with that person even years and years and years ago. Why was the community invited? Accountability. Are they living up to the terms of this agreement in which they established one with another long ago? What does that mean? That means if the culture changes, what happens? The covenant doesn't change. That means if my opinion changes, what happens? The covenant doesn't change. And if it does change, what, 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 what was the vow? What was the vow? Come on, everybody. It's interactive today. Come on, help me out. What was the vow? Off with my head. Right? Again, aren't you glad? Come on, aren't you glad that we're in a different covenant now? Everyone would come and they would stand in the place where the covenant was originally made and they would reenact the covenant ceremony to refresh the memories, the mentality, the emotionality, the spirituality of the whole thing in every way. Now we understand how covenants were made. That's how covenants were made in the Old Testament. Let's look at the covenant ceremony that is written about in Scripture between God and Abram. Genesis chapter 12. If you want to turn to your Bible, Genesis 12, we're going to be there. And then, and then also uh, Genesis 15. Genesis 12, God tells Abram to leave his native land and go to the land he would show him. And then he tells him, he tells, God tells Abram that he's going to be the father of a great nation. I'm going to summarize because we don't have time to dive so deep into this, okay? He, okay, God tells Abram he's going to be the father of a great nation. How many of you know that? 
Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham, and I am one of them, and so are you. So let's all pray. Yeah, right arm, left arm. Yeah, man, we could do it. We could bust it out. VBS, baby. Come on. God tells Abram to leave his native land, goes to, 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 to go to a land that he would show him, and then God tells him he's going to be the father of a great nation. From that nation, would be, would, he would be a blessing to all the people on the earth. What an incredible promise. What is he doing? He's foreshadowing, he's foreshadowing the coming of the Messiah, which was Jesus, come on everyone, who would be a blessing to all mankind. Also, God, God told him that he would give him a great land and that his descendants would possess it. But several years later, Abram's not seeing the blessing. Abram's not, he's not seeing the progress, right? Nothing changed. God, we met together. You told me this. Nothing's happening. What's going on? God, I haven't had kids. You promised me that I'd be the father of many nations, that I would be a blessing. I haven't had any children yet. He does, I don't have any land yet. What's happening? And so in Genesis chapter 15, verse 8, we read this. Abraham, Abram asked God. Abram said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? And the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer. Bring me a heifer. A goat and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all of these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite one another. Just like I showed you a moment ago. Listen, Abram didn't argue. He knew what God was doing. He didn't argue with God. God, I don't have time. I don't have time. I don't have time to go get these animals. I don't have time. I don't know where to go. Nope. Abram just did what God was asking him to do. Yes? And he wasn't arguing. He was making a covenant. And Abram knew that he was making a covenant with him. He knew God was choosing in that moment. This would have been earth-shattering to, to Abram. It would, it would have blown his mind. Abraham was, was, was understanding at this moment that he was making a covenant with God. Now, listen, God is the higher power. Amen? He's the king of Kings, he's the Lord of Lords. He and, and and the King of Kings and Abram is the lower, lesser vassal. Say vassal. Okay, so 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 Abram goes out and gets the animals. He cuts them in half and he lines them up in the space in between, in the middle. But something happens that's shocking. Abram's the lower vassal, right? God is who? God, God is the king. God is always the king. By the way, God will never take another position other than king. God does play, he plays no other role. Right? No other role. He he is king. And 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 what happens is this is shocking. Something happens. It's, it's so surprising. And to the ancient reader, to, to those to those who knew, listen, this was in, in that they were in that culture, in that they, they would be so shocked by this because, because here's the thing. Abram isn't the one who walks through the animals. Wait, wait a minute. God, you're not doing this right. How many of you ever told God he wasn't doing it right? <laughs> How many times has that worked out for you? How many times were you wrong when you said that or thought that? But 
this isn't how it was to be done. But this is how God chose to do it. Come on. This is how God chose to do it. God is the higher power. He's the king of all kings. And Abram isn't the one who walks through the animals. No, God puts Abram into a deep sleep. And God comes, the Bible says, in two forms. In two forms, God comes. God comes as a smoking oven and a flaming torch. Now you're like, this is weird. Read your Bible. There's some weird stuff in there. Well, I don't understand. Me either. In fact, this whole thing is by faith. By faith we live. Come on. The smoking oven and a flaming torch. The smoking oven and a flaming torch. Both pass between the animal pieces. And God makes his oath to Abram. I have given you the land, God says. I have given you the land and I will make you a great nation. And all the nations of the earth will be blessed by you. And I have, I have and all I am given to you, my strength is yours. My grace is yours. I will protect you. I will provide for you. I am your God and you will be my people. I am for you. Not against you. And for your descendants as well. Now. Why did God put Abram into a deep sleep? Because God was making this promise to Abram, listen to me, based on a covenant that he was making with himself. God didn't even need Abram there. Because God was promising himself something. the smoking oven and a flaming torch, God, the more powerful king, took it upon himself to make this promise unconditionally. While he was saying what he was saying, he was saying, I will do this and it will be done even if you break the covenant. I will do this even if you break the covenant. In fact, if you break the covenant, I will take the curse upon myself. I don't even need you in the room. He's saying, I will do this. I will do this. In fact, if you break the covenant, I'll take the curse upon myself. Why? Why did God choose to do this? Look at me. Because God knew we couldn't keep the covenant with him. Mankind would never be able to keep the covenant with God. Adam Sinned in the garden, yes? Adam sinned. Adam broke covenant with God. Abram couldn't keep the covenant with him. He got in a hurry, right? Things weren't happening fast enough, so he had a baby with somebody else. Come on. He knew Moses and the children of Israel wouldn't be able to keep it. They would break the covenant with God. David, David would break God's covenant with him. And he knew all of us. 
He knew the Jews, he knew the Gentiles would sin and break covenant with God. So God took the oath of the consequences upon himself. When? Way back. I just want you to understand something. You're a descendant of Abram. So you have both the consequences and the benefits of the covenant relationship with that Father Abraham had with Almighty God. Well, what I do doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, it does. To you and the generations of people following after you. Well, what I do behind closed doors shouldn't matter. But it does matter. For all of eternity, it matters. God knew. So God took the oath of, that, of the consequences on himself. God was in, in essence saying, let it be like this, right? The carcass is hanging there, blood raining down. Let it be like this to me if this covenant is not kept. I take it upon myself to pay the penalty of it. And that's exactly what happened. It's exactly what took place. Mankind didn't keep our side of the covenant with God. So what did God do? He took the penalty upon himself. He, it's the gospel. He took the, it's the good news that Jesus Christ came to earth to sustain the covenant that had been broken between mankind and God. And God says, my boy will handle it. I'll still pay for my end of the deal. I'll provide for you when I knew you bailed out, when you went your own way, when you decided that your way was better than mine, that the culture that exists now is so much better than what my promise was to you. You know what? I'm Because of that, I'm going to see it before it ever even happens, and I'm going to provide for you. Listen, mankind didn't keep our side of the covenant. God did. Come on, everybody. God did. God did. Jesus came to earth, offered himself as a sacrifice for all mankind, for the sins of against God. Come on. Listen to what Jesus says to his, to his disciples the night before he gives his life on the cross. Luke chapter 22, verses 19 and 20. And he took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this, is, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, not in the blood of bulls and goats, but in the blood of heaven, the Son of God which is poured out for you. This is why communion is such a big deal. I want you to understand something. This is just something we don't cross off the list the first Sunday of the month. Eh, we just do it. It's part of the deal. No, 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 no. This is a remembrance of the covenant that God made with us as his sons and daughters. As the lesser vassal, come on, everyone, where the king has just chosen 
even though he saw into the future of our own existence, that we could not keep the covenant vows that we made with him in front of the entire world, God says, I'll send a sacrifice that's worthy of the price of your sin. I'll fulfill the covenant, not only that I promised, but that you promised me. It's like the annual rereading of the covenant. Come on. Remember, I said that the priests of the high king would come. Everyone in the nation would show up, right? All those, they would come and stand at the place where the covenant was made. Where the blood was shed and that they would refresh themselves on what had been promised. Remember me telling you that. They reenacted, they relived it, and they recommitted themselves to it. That's what we do when we take communion. That's what we do. The early church did what Jesus said. They, they came together to receive of the Lord's table. And what we read in Acts chapter 2, some of the churches drifted and forgot about the spiritual purpose and practical application of what this is all about. Listen to what the Apostle Paul writes to the church of Corinth. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting in verse 17. It says, in the following directives, I have no praise for you. This is Paul being Paul, the pastor. Come on, everybody. Some days you need a friend. There's a lot of days you need a pastor. The problem is this. Too often people confuse one with the other. Listen to what Pastor Paul says here in the following directives. I have no praise for you. For your meetings do more harm than good. Wow. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe it, Paul says. No doubt have, 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 there have to be differences among you and, and show you which, which of you have God's approval. So then when you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper you, you're eating. For when you're eating, some of you go ahead and eat Some of you go ahead with your own private suppers, is what it says. You just choose yours and do your thing. Wow. As a result, one person remains hungry and another one gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. For I received from the Lord what also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For for wherever you eat the bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Everyone, everyone 
ought to examine themselves, not your neighbor. Come on. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For those who eat of the drink without discerning the body of Christ will eat and drink judgment upon themselves. This is why many of you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. That means death, by the way, just so you know. But if we're more discerning with regard to ourselves, would we not come under such judgment? So how, how does this apply to us? Because we're not, just, we're not just chowing down on the bread or getting drunk off the wine. In fact, this is grape juice, so you'd have to drink a lot of it. Right? A lot of it. Here's, here's what he's talking about. It's about preferring others above ourselves. This is the gospel. Hello? That we prefer others above ourselves. See, as a leader, you give up the right to do what you want. Parents, you understand this. Because when that little baby cries down the hall and it's 3 a.m. and you don't want to get up. Okay? You choose to get up anyway, right? He's talking about no divisions in the house and in the family of God. There shouldn't ever be people who are here who feel undervalued or unappreciated or unimportant. Because at the foot of the cross, the ground is level for all people. We're all brothers and sisters. We're, we are family, and we love and cherish each other in Jesus. Amen? There's no place for hate and prejudice in the family of God. And by the way, we will not stand for it here. We will not allow that to be in this place. And we reject all division among men and women. I reject it. Men cannot disrespect or look down upon women. Women cannot disrespect or look down upon men. Right? And there shouldn't be a division among the young or the mature. Come on, everybody. And, and all the orphans and widows taken care of. Come on. This is the family of God. We are the table of the Lord is about being in solidarity with God and each other. Communion is all about reminding ourselves of what Jesus went through when he established this new covenant with us. When we take the cup and we take the bread, we're in a sense reminding ourselves that we told Jesus to go die for us. In our place. That we should feel the emotion of that moment again. Come on, everybody. Jesus died to save me because he loves me. It's also about us being reconciled with each other, forgiving one another, loving each other, coming into unity with one another, no matter what, to treat each other the way that he has treated us. That's the way we treat one another. When we don't discern the body and the blood, we drink judgment against ourselves. That's why we're weak and sick and some are falling asleep. That's what scripture says. The reason why the Lord is so serious about communion and us discerning the body and reminding ourselves of the covenant relationship with him is because he wants us to experience, listen, the fullness of what he has for us. 
the fullness of the, the benefit of the covenant experience with him, right? The covenant relationship with him, that we would be strong and whole and alive in him. Amen? When he's saying we should discern the body, he's talking about discerning two things. Number one, Jesus' body. His body, Jesus' body, was given on the cross to pay for the price of our sin. Okay? And then secondly, his, the church. The church. Okay? His body, which is us. The church. The church. We are to be one body, right? He was pierced and bruised and whipped. Yes? So we could all come into this family of God and become one with him, one in body. That was, this was his prayer right before he went to the cross. He's praying for us to be in unity together, that we would be one, the body of Christ. So here's, here's the main point. Okay, one body, one head. Who is who? Jesus. The correct answer is always Jesus, just so you know. One body, one head, who is Jesus, it's Jesus. For us to live in the refreshing that God has, we have to be one with each other and connected and submitted to him completely. Completely. When Jesus died on the cross, he was bruised, he was beaten, stripes on his back, piercings, right? With, with nails and a spear. But guess what? He had no broken bones. Why? Because he, he which is a big deal, because the law, the law said all acceptable sacrifices offered to God had to be without blemish. Jesus didn't go to the cross with a broken bone. With all the beatings that he endured. Secondly, the prophecies about the Messiah, he would die with no broken bone. So it was, it, was, it was prophesied. Thirdly, it's a prophetic picture of what he was once from us. To be one body. To be one body. No fractures. No divisions. No broken relationships. We're called, we're, we are called not to hate, to have no prejudice, no unforgiveness. Come on. No bitterness. No strife. No stubbornness. No pride. We're one body. And if we get this right, the body is in alignment, what happens? Dr. Ross can tell you, healing takes place. When the body is aligned, healing takes place natural. If I cut my hand, see this big cut on my hand? Yeah, I cut my hand. I hit a barrel accidentally. It was a follow-through. I was throwing a ball, hit this barrel. Anyway, if I treat it right, what's it going to do? Yeah, it's going to heal. It's going to heal. Now, if I do all kinds of weird things to it, right, I can keep it wet and slimy and wash it, you know, drag it through the stuff, right, run it along the handrails, right? By the way, stop touching handrails, people. The only time you should touch a handrail is if you're falling down. Blows my mind, people walking, <laughs> walking through places just dragging the handrail. I'm like, that's gross. Rah! And then you put a bubble gum in your mouth. Ah, where'd all that go? Ah. Not a germaphobe. I'm really not. When the body's in alignment, it heals. Hello? God created you to heal, to not be broken. And when we're connected in right fashion to Him, 
we will heal. Thank you for listening with us today. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash or join us for service Sundays at 9 or 11 a.m.